Yeah, you did. Because I didn't notice it had fallen. And I, was, I made a really valuable point. I was like, don't make me real fun. Like, we record that. It was good the first time. Right. So we don't actually need to stare at our faces, but it is good to know that we are recording. Um, so I'm just going to do this instead. So that um, if the case it stops and this thing, fine, we can see both. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hello and welcome to another episode of the Firetech Roundup Roundup with myself, Ellie, and with me today is Tebs. Hello. I say with me today, you're with me every episode, because there's probably... Yeah, but in person today, because we're sleeping out. Yes, we are. So actually, let's just jump straight into Mm. the the shout out. Mm. Um, Tonight, ECS are doing End Youth Homelessness's Sleep Out, saying that five times while drunk. Um, And yeah, we are camping in the office. Indeed. It's not really camping, but it is terribly, terribly, terribly inconvenient, (laughs) which is... You know, I think the trick is, I think it's a really interesting idea from our youth homelessness to, you know, I've slept out in horrible conditions through choice and not choice in the past. And um, sorry, I was never homeless. It was part of my job. But anyway, um, but, you know, the, um, the, the idea of sleeping in a place that's unusual gives you a microscopic view into the inconvenience of living out of suitcase for yeah. sometimes years at a time that is often a characteristic of youth homelessness. And for me, it will be a hassle. But what if that was every day and I had to go to school and I had to do my homework and I just got like a corner of some relative spare bedroom and that is yeah, what it's supposed yeah. to highlight. Yeah. Too often we forget youth homelessness is a real issue because they've got a roof over their heads and therefore mission accomplished. And that's, kids need homes. Yeah, yeah. I can agree more. And again, I, I spoke to you earlier, it's, it's raining today, we're up in London. And yeah. um, I just had that feeling, like, oh, thank goodness we're sleeping in the office today rather than mm. outside. And again, it's just that privilege of being able to have a choice yeah. about where you're sleeping. And I know you mentioned relatives' homes, but that's an assumption that that is where they're staying. Um, yeah, or a, hotel, or a hotel or emergency accommodation, which could be a bad set with siblings and a mother. In the very worst cases, maybe you are homeless and you take a room from a stranger because, hey, you need... But whatever the weather, just saying they've got... <laughs> no pun intended. It, just having a roof over your head, not good enough. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so we are actually really keen to be doing this tonight. We hope mm-hmm. it raises awareness around um, and some cash and some cash absolutely <laughs> we will drop a, um, a link below so if you would like to sponsor us tonight um if you're doing it as well let us know that you're doing it so we yeah. can kind of do a shout out for you as well um but yeah we're really looking forward to seeing how um how much we can raise from this and the awareness of it and big shout out to my garage who appears to have taken the fun raising approach of finding everyone he knows and tipping them upside down I he's, know. he's raised a lot of money <laughs> I thought I was doing okay, my little 80 pounds, and it's just like, oh, hang on. Well, I was vexed because I didn't realize I was supposed to be doing this or get sponsorship. So, you uh, sponsored me, though. So, yeah, I feel that's indeed. I sponsored you before I realized I was doing this or that I had to be sponsored. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, oh, I will oh sort that out later. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, uh, no, so yeah, no, there you go. So, that's what we're up to tonight, and the reason why you've got both of us sat next to each other on today's podcast, which we're very excited about. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we now have to move away from the goodwill of ECS and into today's news. 
Uh, we say today this news comes from the Friday Tech Roundup um, episode 93 and covers everything that came up on the week commencing 8th of November. When we say everything, those are just the top five stories that we picked out. Obviously, a lot goes on around the world. So The most important five. I mean, there might have been things like climate change conferences, oh, yeah. the unexpected consequences <laughs> of pandemics and Brexit, but these five. I mean, quickly on the topic of uh, COP26, did you happen to see the photo of uh, everyone who went? So the, the group photo at the end of the, no. the event. Um, guess how many women were featured within said photo? Um, I'll go out on a limb. Like everyone who went or all the world leaders? All the world leaders. There was unfortunately a Three. lady. Well, okay, yeah, pessimistic. But um, there were seven. Right. There was technically an eighth in the photo, but it looked like she was just leaning against a pillar. So perhaps it was in the shop without realising she was meant to be in the shop. Amazing. Um, but yes, yeah, seven world leaders, women in a photo. Uh, showing the diversity of decision making around our future. So it's... Um, all good stuff. We, we've made lots of progress in the last 10 years. I feel, you know... Four more than you thought. I'm just, uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm just very excited to find a field um, that has better gender diversity than IT. Well, very, yeah. As uh, we were at the Software mm. Testing Awards on uh, Thursday, no, on Tuesday night. Sorry, I apologise. And um, that was like walking into a room full of suits. I'm sure. Just penguins everywhere. And you're I'm just sure. like, oh right, okay, right. There, and you could see the ladies mm. because we were the ones who chose colour. Yeah. Um, and we're the only ones in colour, and there may be a handful of us. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was an interesting tell-me-you-work-in-tech about tell-me-you-work-in-tech kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, I'm sure. Oh. Still, we'll explore all that in the other podcasts about International Men's Day. Absolutely. Absolutely. Back to the news where we were yeah. a second ago. Um, so, first up, the UK government has announced new funding aimed at the digitalization of diagnostics to reduce the administrative burden on the national health system, as well as turnaround times. So the 248 million funding boost for 2022 is expected to support investments in technology underpinning diagnostic procedures, speed up diagnosis of health conditions and deliver earlier treatment and reduce waiting lists. Now, I think we at the moment, the waiting list within the UK is up 50 percent in the poorest areas within England um, compared to 35 percent in the most affluent areas. There are 5.61 million people who are currently thought to be on that backlog mm -hmm. um, and that's equivalent to almost one in every 10 people in England so this is a real serious problem mm -hmm. it's obviously come off the back of the pandemic and the increased pressure on the NHS and closing down the services um certainly non oh crap what's the word non-essential um, non, um, oh, non-urgent care non -urgent yeah yeah care. Uh, yeah, so unfortunately, the, those are on the on the waiting list at the moment are for treatments such as like knee and hip replacements, con cataract surgery, and like and other common procedures. Mm -hmm. um, but there has been delays on cancer, and there was a mm -hmm. that report I think you uh, sorry you shared around where there was a hospital in the north of England. Oh, nine out of ten hospitals at the moment. Nine out of ten chief execs are saying that the current pressures are unsustainable. Yeah. That's nine out of ten. And I think obviously the pandemic has made this worse, but we cannot pretend that things were fine pre the pandemic. No. And, you know, when you look at something like the NHS, and I think last last numbers I saw from the King's Fund, who were generally pretty good on this stuff, uh, I think the core funding for the NHS was $159 billion a year. And everyone goes, oh, gosh, that's a lot of money. Um, but in terms of spend per person we're kind of at the lower end of the oecd in terms of funding okay um for healthcare 
Um, you know, and if you, and it's not government funding, that's all funding, whether it's insurance, what have you, we just happen to have what might be called a, a single payer nationalized model. But you go to France, you know, there's a lot of spending because insurance is mandatory. You go to the US and spending per head is insane. Mm. Um, so outcomes wise, the NHS delivers very good outcomes for relatively little money, but it is so poorly funded compared to other countries in terms of what you spend, whether that's in the public or private sector. Healthcare funding in this country has been awful for roughly 10 years. Don't know what might have happened 10 years ago, but the pandemic has made it so much worse. And um, yeah, the you know, it, it's, it's a term that gets banded around, but the health, National Health Service is on its knees yeah. and it needs solutions. I work in tech. Is digitization the solution? I, I think maybe it's part of it. I, I think people, uh, I think they need staff more than anything, pretty much. I think the infrastructure, the NHS isn't too bad, actually. You go in hospitals and they're doing pretty good nick nowadays compared to when I was a kid. <laughs> but um, the number of vacancies is massive. Yeah. And we scratch our heads around that. And the reality is the answer is you need to pay people more and you need to loosen some of the immigration rules about those NHS roles. Um, you know, if, you, if, if you're saying that you need to earn a minimum of £48,000 a year to come and work here, well, you can't employ nurses then, right? Yeah. So you need to put exceptions in, go, oh, that's great, mm-hmm. we've done that for nurses, great, but you also need hospital porters, you need radiologists, you need uh, community health nurses, you need mental health nurses. Mm-hmm. The department is no longer the Department for Health, it's the Department for Health and Social Care. Let's talk about care home staff, let's talk about, you know, all these areas have massive shortfalls in staff and... Yep, we're looking at the great resignation, a lot of people shifting around, but the reality is if you block off a big chunk of immigrants and you're not paying people a great deal to begin with, then you're going to have a shortfall in staff and that shortfall in staff is going to hurt. And then you throw a pandemic into the mix that's been, I think, by any measure, not well handled. And you end up in this sort of situation. This feels kind of like the farmer story that we talked about last week or the week before. It's like, don't worry, we'll we'll say we're doing digital, we'll put what looks like a large amount of money in front of it and that will solve it. You know, if we're gonna take us right back to our core, what we do for a living, people, tools, process. Absolutely. Um, all three of those are struggling in this situation. I would argue tools is probably in the healthiest situation, but that's the one where they're throwing the money because digital AI pick your, you know, buzzword du jour is the solution. But, you know. I, I grew up with a grandparent who grew up in a workhouse. It's within living memory. There was no nationalised healthcare there. This is very precious stuff, mm. and we take it for granted too much. And we shouldn't let a policy announcement about digitisation make us think that in any way it's being addressed. Absolutely. Uh, scares me a lot. <laughs> and I think, as you said, they have to work hand in hand. If yeah. you just apply um, digitalization as a solution, you're going yeah. to plaster over a lot of other problems. We're looking at a service here that has empathy and humans at the heart of it. And if you start removing that, um, first you can't. There has to be people in place to be able to, to carry out. Yeah, um, someone needs to run the test. Someone needs to run the test. Someone yeah. exactly. So it's great saying that you're a group, you know we can look after this new pot of data. It's like, okay, well, who's collecting the data to begin with? Mm. A system. Okay, well, who's operating the system? Um, and also, who's making sure that when your elderly relative is on their last days, is there to hold their hand? Indeed, indeed. All those, all those things, all those people elements need to be Absolutely. covered. Absolutely. But the the um, you know we're looking at the numbers and 
the NHS cranks through some tests at the moment. One and a half billion a year. This was, you know, the hope for this. And it's a hope. It's not locked in. It's not like you pay this money and you get these tests. Yeah. The hope is that this will give you nine million more tests. That's 0.6% increase. You know, just get more people. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, and again, and it, this diagnostic test, it, it is important, right? Because what mm-hmm. they're trying to do here is either slow down uh, medical conditions. So things like cancer, if you catch them at the earlier stages, yeah. the rate of survival goes up. But there's also, it's economically sensible for them because yeah. actually it's less stress, less pressure and less economical Fix it early. Fix it early. And you pay less money. Absolutely. That, that's why the NHS delivers such good outcomes yep. because fundamentally the outcome is do people live longer? The life expectancy in just at opposite ends of the healthcare model spectrum, right? Yep. We pay significantly less per head in healthcare in the US. Mm-hmm. On average, our people live significantly longer. Mm. Our system's better. Full stop. (laughs) That's the end of it. No Sherlock Holmes needs it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We pay a lot less per head and our people live a lot longer. Yeah. You know, that's outcomes. That's linked. That's clear. Because you can't, like, um, again, and this is going to come up on the International Men's Day series Mm -hmm. that we're doing, but if the healthcare is available to you and it's accessible mm-hmm. and it's um if you're not worried about going to the doctor to check out on a campaign you're much more likely to early diagnose something that's what and yeah, get it's fixed. Like it. if yeah. your house is not on the line yeah. to go get your cancer checked yeah. out yeah. three years earlier yeah if you don't care if you've got a pre-existing condition Absolutely. if you don't care about any of that stuff you're much more likely to go yeah yep. so yeah i just uh it's a thing that needs protecting economically it makes loads of sense some people don't like it because instinctively they think government does things badly mm. i think government does some things badly i think when something's a natural monopoly or a fundamental right and i think healthcare is yeah then you so know, we think we'll have the, the government <laughs> yeah the digitalization of diagnostics it's a good thing we're not against it but i feel that there has to be other things which are considered and as you said like believing this is yeah fix i think all this is window dressing absolutely yeah um, so number two, uh, heads of IT are being urged to consider how they take their roles forward as organizations develop business strategies that rely heavily on digital technologies. Uh, this comes from Gartner, um, and the anal- ah, analysts say that technology can help CIOs gain freedom from historic insights, legacy business practices, and bias. Yeah. Um, Daryl Plummer from uh, Ghana CIOs need to reconsider how they think about value and how they get to that value and they need a more expansive view of the role technology plays in doing so and they've also got to be bold to reach beyond the where to discover freedom not quite sure whether he was going with that uh, yeah, I made I made a note on that, which was I don't understand this. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> what freedom are we talking about? Here? I, I did get there were a couple of stories this week where I was like, have I had a head injury? Because <laughs> I just didn't understand them. <laughs> I was like, I mean, uh, uh, this one's a tricky one because I was like, I'm, I'm probably doing this guy. I mean, Daryl Plummer's actually, you know, I mean, from what I've seen, you know, uh, intelligent, uh, insightful chap. Um, it's very difficult though because it was like, oh, I'll go and watch the video of this, and of course you can't because it's a Gartner forum, so, so I'd have to pay like nine grand yeah. to see <laughs> it. And and you're like, well, I mean, the what they chose to publish just kind of it made me a bit annoyed, really, if I'd be a CIO because it's like if you're a CIO, you need to think and reflect. And you're like, mate, I'm a C level position. All I do is think and reflect. Yeah. Right? You know? <laughs> You've got to question. Right now, the... I'm chasing freedoms, but you're telling me like, indeed, somewhere. Yeah. I mean, I think. I'm having to guess because 
there was so little coverage around this to give me more than what Gardner chose to share. But, mm. you know, I mean, Method, our sister company, did a really interesting discussion the other day about, um, and actually Matthew Skelton and, uh, and Manuel Paris, his um, co-author, did a really interesting comment that was very similar on LinkedIn the other day. And it was about, like, well, we need to be agile. Why? Like, what's... And it's very similar to the conversations we have around cloud. Like, what's the value? What What is the actual driver? If you tell me, like, you know, a significant proportion of our revenue, hopefully a number, uh, is tied up in the corporate banking element of our bank, and we want to move beyond that because we're seeing erosion in our retail bank, and we're worried about not holding on to those customers, so either we either hold on to them or maximize the value of corporate. Mm. That's a real conversation. Agility may be a mechanism for getting there. So maybe that's what he means. <laughs> But I don't know, because I just, I was reading this and it was like, you know, you must, you know, it, it all felt a bit Yoda-ish, really. It was <laughs> like, you know. It's never a bad thing, throwing Star Wars into a tech conversation. Well, it's never a bad thing. But yeah. I, I mean, make it clearer rather than allude to it, reverse the grammar or something. But it did, yeah, it was just weird. It was like CIOs have a balancing act to perform, saving cash and expanding revenue. I think every CIO must have been sat there going, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know. <laughs> but what, I think what was interesting um, in Gartner's, uh, in support of Gartner, is the... Um... No, like I say, I'm sure it was good. I just couldn't see it. So... And, the, and the stuff they trailed, like the breadcrumbs to go, is this is worth you buying it. I was like, what? Yeah. Yeah, I just didn't get it. Yeah. Um, but they are nuisance. And I think all of us, is, I can't remember quite who said the initial quote, but it was the idea that every company is now a technology company. Yeah. And the fact that we are transitioning from IT supporting the business to be in the business. Mm. And I think um, what we're starting to see from that and what Gartner's picked up on is this um, this IT spend is changing and technology is shifting from a cost of operations to a cost of revenue um, or possibly possibly even a cost of goods sold. Um, now, um, that was, that that point about it being cogs was interesting. I don't think it's right, but, yeah, I think, again, I think, like, oh, IT isn't a cost, it's a potential revenue generator. Again, it was a bit like, yeah. But um, but the concept of... See, you're impressed with this article. Yeah, I, just, I, just, I really struggled with it. I was like, but the idea of... Um, like making IT cost of goods sold, like baking it in in the same way that you do property costs. Mm. Uh, I was like, oh, that is interesting because that then opens the door to giving like IT leaders back significant discretionary spend. Here's your part, keep the lights on in massive air quotes. Yeah. And, um, you know, do what you want with the money as long mm. as you meet the outcomes. That's interesting. I actually think there's a danger there in that, again, you're going back to being a cost center and something that companies just want to slice when mm. they get the chance but it was interesting to go we should bake it in as overhead predictable overhead yeah. i prefer the revenue model but watching someone surface that it's been a long time since it was part of cox but i think there's an argument that you know it it, it possibly should be or a portion of it should be yeah that was the one interesting bit for me yeah. well again another point also came out um that i noticed was this idea that buying it products um is also changing so people are no longer owning the technology what they're yeah. doing instead is opting for a service model yeah. and what we're starting to see as well is that um technologists and partners within the space are jumping on this so they're mm -hmm. doing a much more um as a service yeah. providers they're doing making sure that um consumer models are in place for sorry pricing models are in place um based on consumption yeah uh, capitalization is interesting because yeah. you know people have started to figure out models for actually capitalizing a lot of this as well and you're like well really because you don't own it you're leasing it but you're 
capitalizing it and depreciating it like well only the project's implementation stuff so people like me in the old days who go in and deliver this stuff mm. i'd suddenly become a capital investment which arguably i always should have been but it's it's interesting it's some evolving financial models to sort of reflect the new truth but yeah that whole as a service leasing consumption based yeah it's very yeah. interesting yeah absolutely and i think it you said goes back to businesses being able to build in a form of agility without sounding they're going we need to be agile and it just enables people to be adaptive and reactive and um move with the times without necessarily sitting there going right everything we touch needs to be this completely new way of working and we need to you know build that in and what this is saying is actually we're just looking at what the market is we're seeing our new environment and we're making sure that the tools that we're using in that environment are good for us and are answering the questions as and when they happen yeah um but one thing that, again, for me on this article, is very much focused on CIOs, and obviously that's the stance they took. But I think it is important that it's not just CIOs. I think it's the whole C-suite needs to be brought into this way of thinking. Um, and if you're going to have some sort of change across the company, if you're trying to embed technology mm. as a key part of the business rather than just supporting the business, that has to be something that the whole business buys into. And I know a CIO has an overarching role in that, but I think if your CTO isn't on board, you're messing up here. Well, we were having that conversation the other day, weren't we, about successful digital change. Like when we were talking about DBS, the fact that it was sponsored at mm-hmm. the CEO coup chairman level. Right? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. But you know, I mean you're you know, I mean, you're excellent at marketing, right? What do you think well... when you read that kind of because <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at I was like, where's the clarity of the message? I'm not really drawing it out on this one. It it just it it felt to me like it was a series of it felt like the kind of thing that would have been groundbreaking five years ago. And I'm like, does that reflect the lecture or does yeah. it reflect what someone, some copyist has decided to put as the breadcrumbs to get you to buy the lecture? And if so, why did they choose that? Because mm. it seemed very confused as a message for me. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel that at this point, it's um, the changing role of the CIO, the CEO. Um, yeah. You know, they, that's been conversation now for the last five years. we've got to talk about it, right? It's the absolutely. guy at the CIO summit. It's like a marquee event, but it was like, I just didn't get it. But it's been changing for, for a while now. And this isn't a new conversation. As you said, a lot of the stuff that she's picked up, you're going to yeah. have nodding dogs uh, from the CIO uh, readership but yeah. it's I think again for me the interesting thing is just picking up on those slightly newer trends and that was um, this idea of how IT spend is being spent now and obviously mm. the models around that and how they're changing seeing again as you said how you get that buy-in about um, IT being the business mm-hmm. and making seeing how that can actually be a cog at the very outset yeah. rather than just um, yeah cost of goods sold is a is an interesting approach mm. yeah anyway sorry I'll stop this is what this is right this is about just trying to understand uh, what it is we're reading and um again for the life of me i feel these podcasts are a lifeline for myself in terms of my education Uh, i'm not alone in my confusion absolutely um okay number three the uk and us governments are to partner out to develop quantum technology this initiative will aim to promote research build the global market and supply chain as well as train the next generation of scientists and engineers this partnership is part of a one billion government and industry investment from the National Quantum Technologies Program that aims to commercialise quantum innovations and ensure the UK status as a world leader in quantum science and technologies. Now, like uh, probably myself, I'm I don't know. Tabs may know loads about quantum technology, but um, I do not sadly. But I do did do a bit of research and. 
the things that are going to come out of here and why we need to keep pushing quantum technology is it promises improvements to a vast range of everyday gadgets. So it has more reliable navigation, timing systems, more secure communications, more accurate healthcare imaging, free quantum sensing. Mm-hmm. And if you can get past the things called quibits, qubits, yeah. um, you can solve problems that classic computers cannot. And to put this into perspective, a future quantum computer could, for example, crack any of today's common security systems, such as the 128-bit AES encryption in seconds. Yes. Now, today's supercomputer would take millions of years to do the same job. So this kind of technology, if we're looking at a data and analytical future, is basically going to accelerate that a million times fold, right? Yep. So this is why this is important. I find it terrifying and exciting. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. Um, so famous mathematical problems like P versus MP, um, which is the the kind of thing that has puzzled mathematicians for like hundreds of years and is the basis for pretty much all, all the core encryption that you see out there. Um, the quantum computer could almost certainly solve it within seconds. It's weird, but surely we program the computer. How is the quantum computer doing this? We've programmed the computer. Yeah, because it can do what our current computers can do so much faster. So it's just taking our knowledge, refining it, and then coming to a conclusion, but obviously in seconds of time. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, it just, it represents an almost unfathomable leap in processing power yeah it is like i say incredibly terrifying incredibly exciting i think i think this would have the potential to impact society much more really than uh ai will i think we i you know i mean obviously the fear with ai is that you know you you get your first true AI, although everyone's very woolly about what that actually means. And within a nanosecond, it's decided we're a pain and it just kills us all. <laughs> and that's that's the singularity event that everyone's terrified about. And, you know, maybe in fair play and let's keep an eye on that. But everyone's looking at that. It, the, the societal disruption from quantum computing when it's landed will yeah. be huge, not just in terms of, there is no such thing as encryption anymore. But, um, and and if you think about it, right, um, the kind of person who's going to own a quantum computer, it's not going to be me at home at my desk. <laughs> it's going to be a government. And it's like, which government? And are we happy about that? Yeah. You know, what are um, yeah, WhatsApp ends when encryption, that's not a thing anymore. Yeah. Yeah, well, probably never was, but like Signal, Proton, nope. Yeah. No whistleblower will be safe, right? Um, but by the same token, you want to model the progression of cancers. You want to look at um, what pandemic socioeconomic modeling looks like. You'll know in a second. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that, that capability, it is difficult to wrap your head around it. I think the only, the, the only thing that kind of gives you a sense of that scale is, you know, the best mathematicians in the world for hundreds of years have worked on P versus MP. It's so hard. That's what we built our encryption on. We genuinely feel that things like, you know, 128 bit, 256, you can even go up to the sort of like, you know, the horrific encryption standards like Blowfish, they're pretty safe. 
like a hot knife through butter, this will go through it. Oh. And um, that's scary, weird, but also very exciting. It does feel a little bit like genius, but, but the potential of being evil genius. Yeah, well, it, 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 it's a technology, right? Yeah. And it's like, right, people. do you use it for good? Do you use it for bad? And, um, yeah. But yeah, this, yeah, quantum computing is just hugely interesting. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Number four. Uh, the Bank of England has taken the next steps in a digital money plan. The uh, Bank of England and the Treasury are to launch a formal consultant? Yeah. consultation. Consultation, yeah. Yeah. On a UK central bank digital currency, looking at the design and possible benefits. The currency will be used by households and businesses and will sit alongside cash and bank deposits rather than replacing them. But no decision has yet been taken on whether to have such a currency within the UK. This was the second story that made me think this week that I'd hurt my head because because I was I was like why yeah like why like what is the point of this it was like well you know it'll be a digital version of cash and you're like I've got a debit card yeah and I don't I don't know what I've got PayPal I've got Google Pay and you know or Apple Pay Money depending works on your right flavour yeah and it was like it's like we've got to have an answer for Bitcoin why. Mm. the governments want to get into money well sorry that's a silly question but um <laughs> but like you know why you know it's used for crime it's used for paying ransoms bitcoin that is mm. um it's used for speculation i can't really imagine it's this is going to be volatile yeah indeed i can't imagine this is going to be Benefit. any you know fulfill any of those use cases mm. like Essentially, who who buys Bitcoin now? People who want to do it as an investment, so essentially speculation. Mm. Governments probably aren't going to allow that because they want people over in the stock market. And um, to pay ransoms. And it's like, well, they don't want that either. And if they ever do have to, they've got other mechanisms for doing that. And then, so it's like, let's just create a thing that's, you know, probably got similar, possibly similar environmental impact to Bitcoin, which isn't great environmental impact. No. And I just, I don't understand the use case for it. I just, I genuinely don't understand. And I read a lot around this when this article came up because it was like, I'm being stupid. <laughs> and I think it's just because they want a regulated, controlled alternative to like cryptocurrency. Yeah. And it's like, well, we've got that. It's currency. Yeah. It kind so, of already exists. Yeah. James Mickens, who's a really interesting and very funny Harvard professor he's a professor he's at harvard anyway or mit anyway (laughs) it's the same place they just one's technical the other's a university in that view but anyways it's all boston um but they um you know he's incredibly clever he does loads of great keynotes um but he i once watched him do a where he was setting out an exercise like i would like to work with you guys on like when he was it was just like a little researchy thing like our lightning talks we used to do at the woolyard and it was like uh you know this why in my view cryptocurrency is bad but i would like to work on something similar for other applications and he kept making the point where he was like well you know the great thing about the blockchain is you can see every transaction so it's irrefutable and he was like i I don't need that right because i sign a contract with you and um you're not going to back out that contract because I will sue you to death, right? And 
fine. You know, money works in the same way. Like you didn't give me the thing. Yeah, but there was a contract. And how do I know the money's going to come to me? Because it's money. Yeah. You know, and it's a debit card. and There's a bank. And so, so what is this for? What is a central bank digital currency for? And the only thing that I could get to was it's a reply to Bitcoin. But it's like Bitcoin doesn't need a reply. Yeah. <laughs> well, absolutely. But also, as you said, I think... Um... Apparently, work on the digital euro accelerated after Facebook unveiled plans to create its own currency in 2019. So, I think, as you mentioned earlier, mm. it's probably that need for regulation around it. And if we're yeah. watching other social media giants and uh, the world of Bitcoin kind of progress that forward, and there's no government input, but the, probably but, that fear. But, but that's the problem, right? It's like, it's like, well, so we need cryptocurrencies that are regulated. But you're like, well, but the people buying cryptocurrencies are buying it to watch the value go up. Yeah, it's unregulated. Oh, well, this will be regulated or to use for nefarious purposes across border. I think I don't know about last time about you. I've never had a pot of money set aside just in case I need to pay a ransom. That hasn't oh, no, been you, a priority. You right? buy it for the point, right? Yeah. And you're not going to buy this <laughs> because the, the guy the guy giving you the ransom is not going to say, I'd like it's like cash, but this one's digital and it can be tracked. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> Go buy the Bitcoin. Right? I mean, the, the right answer is just regulate Bitcoin. Yeah. But that's very hard to do and they don't want to do it. But it, I, I, yeah, it just, I, I was really like, are you just kind of saying, here we go, we've got an answer and we're a bit, it's just a very strange thing to waste time on. Yes, I agree. Agree. Um, anyway, I kind of understand the other story. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, number five, at this year's Ignite conference, Microsoft announced a series of new offers, including an Azure Open AI service, mm. Azure Communication Services, SMS short code, and a cloud-native offering of Azure container apps mm. currently in preview. They also spoke about their vision for the metaverse Microsoft, and that I actually spotted on YouTube, so they've released that video now. Mm. Um, and... Again, we spoke about this last week in the Firetech Roundup Roundup podcast, uh, but it was their kind of version of what they could do in that space. Yeah. Um, for them, it's much more about collaboration between businesses, between teams, um, and innovation, and how you can kind of make better use of mm-hmm. spaces, which yes. kind of seen that application yeah. of it. Um, along with new offerings, Microsoft has also launched a number of improvement and features for existing offers, um, and they put it all into a book well, a digital page called The Book of News, uh, which is an interactive guide available online uh, for anyone who missed the conference. Yeah. You loved the book, didn't you? I, I struggled with the book. <laughs> but I, I, the reason I struggle with the book is because I'm not a Microsoft specialist. So, um, you know, the other cloud providers I work with tend to be a bit more uh, easy to approach. And then I would find it easy anyway because I understand those other offerings more. We do we do do some work with Azure. It's relatively little compared to uh, the other providers we work with. So um, you know I'm not as familiar with the technology and um, the kind of approach by Microsoft PR appears to be uh, we're going dry and we're going technical. Um, <laughs> so you're like okay, marvelous. So. Uh, I started reading this and then promptly had 18 other tabs open looking at the words that they were using. Yeah. Uh, I mean, ultimately, it's interesting. There's some there's some good services in there. Um, it's nice to see them matching some of the other cloud providers, mm-hmm. particularly around things like SMS, uh, stuff like that. Easily expandable, short step from there to being able to cope with, uh, you know, API-based systems like WhatsApp and all that good stuff. Yeah. Um, and frankly, you know, might see that as competition for some of the vendors we work with, but... Mm-hmm. You know, good to have competition, right? Because it keeps everyone honed and all that good stuff. So, yeah, 
ultimately a lot of customers we work with are looking at having a second cloud. Azure is often that choice. So it's nice to see some of these same services because our customers like the idea of portability. Mm-hmm. And if you want to be portable across multiple clouds, that often means, in fact, I've just finished writing a solution at the moment, which is very much along those lines. And you you are very limited in some of the native services you can use because you need there to be equivalents on the other clouds in play. So you can't really go for the some of the cooler stuff. Uh, I'm sure some people will be chuckling going, an SMS service is hardly cool. But it, it does <laughs> rest, but it does represent progress in terms of offering uh, differentiated services across, sorry, common services across cloud providers that will allow you to start building differentiation into your products, but you can still flip from one cloud to the other because there's an equivalent service that you can work with. Also, the cognitive AI stuff really interesting. Um, And again, looks like catching up with GCP and AWS. You know, at the big cloud providers, Microsoft are pretty ethical. They're not not everyone's favorite, but they're, they're, they're kind of in that big company world where they are they've gone through the maturity phase and mm. and it's nice to see these guys kind of involved with the metaverse because i can't believe them you know 15 years ago people laughed at me but microsoft's kind of more likely to keep facebook honest yeah in this space um i still like we we're talking about the other day i think this could be like one of those extinction events where some big companies get taken out and some interesting little mammals grow up <laughs> in the sort of evolutionary gaps left in that place and you know, we could see some real innovation in the space, but right now, today, it's good to see another superpower in that metaverse space alongside Facebook having some interesting conversations. That being said, Louise put some fun links in the Friday Tech Roundup YouTube's uh, links for the extras, um, mm-hmm. and there were some really interesting new startups in that metaverse meeting space, you know, yeah. doing some research around that little interesting companies working with quite big customers, which, you know, you can see that means there's a lot of horses and people are figuring out which one yeah. to back. But there were no real big names there. So it was interesting. And it kind of speaks to the fact that maybe the metaverse will create an evolutionary space where we can see some new players enter the market who will hopefully be a bit more ethical. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the Microsoft announcements, it was actually, again, I don't think brilliantly communicated. Um, but, um, but yeah, when you look at some of the services available, really interesting, you know, things like tiered pricing models for particularly some of those AI workloads could be really interesting. Absolutely. Um, and it kind of, it answers the thing we spoke about earlier about how IT spend is changing. Mm-hmm. And again, the models which are necessary for that. So I think that's a response to changing mm-hmm. tech spend. Um, there's also an interesting tool that was mentioned in the book of news, which I just like to point out is an oxymoron in itself. News <laughs> doesn't sit still. Well, what if it's a Kindle book? Well, <laughs> even then, Something even then. <laughs> yeah. um, but one thing that kind of jumped out for me, and again, it's probably been around for a little while now, but um, the DevOps Workflow Generator tool, and it's designed to give customers um, or enable them to visualize their entire DevOps tool chain and find ways to improve it. And I imagine that's a very... Interesting, yeah, like a sort of low-code drag-and-drop version to understand your CICD. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And again, like I'm sure that you would need to kind of um, add additional functionality to that to yeah. make sure it worked with your own systems. But... Um, what they take from that as well is it's all it's free. Um, it's anonymized data, but from that they they draw all the insights out and they basically feedback the latest trends. So um, it seemed like an interesting tool that Microsoft has offered up for free. Um, I've noticed a recent trend that this week really brought it home, which was that I think you might need to spin out a podcast where you talk about 
bad marketing in the tech industry <laughs> and I ask you questions. <laughs> Maybe. Because <laughs> it's like you're really having to work hard to determine the value out of these news stories this week. Yeah. It is tough. It is tough. But yeah, yeah. But, you know, there the, are gems in there, though, you're right. Absolutely. And I think, the again, I spoke to you about this before we started recording, mm. and it's the idea about why... So the Ignite is a conference, it's an annual conference. Mm. And so there's a lot in this book mm. of news, mm. a lot of updates, a lot mm. of new releases, a lot of things in production. Um, and it kind of feels like, do they wait? Do they hold back on releasing such products until the event, which means that then actually are you keeping benefits away from, from customers or consumers? Um, but also, it, I think it inspires innovation because if you know this annual event is coming around, so mm. there's a lot of stuff in here they're mentioning which isn't being released until... December or, or the yeah. new year. So I do think also, as uh, for Microsoft as, and their internal innovation, it's probably a case of, right, we need to, next year, we need to knock this back out the park again. So what yeah. are we creating what's bigger and better than we've yeah. ever done? And I think the metaverse is obviously something that's um, new on the... Topical right now. Really yeah. topical. And so the fact that they're jumping on that, again, the fact they're looking at also the more generic parts of DevOps in terms of the workflow and the CI CD pipeline. So I think what's really interesting about this um, and the fact that these annual events happen is it is a way of encouraging innovation in the tech space because you've always got something that you're yeah. working towards. Nothing focuses the mind like the deadline. Uh, yes. And there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of comedy in things like shows like Silicon Valley about we've got to have something to announce this year, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's interesting looking at how different companies handle it. You know, Microsoft have had um, it used to go by a different name, which I can't remember what it is. But you know, they every year they'd announce cool and interesting stuff. So you you you'd get Bill announcing things like Windows ninety five and all mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. But um, you know, if you look at how different companies handle it, you get companies like um, AWS who kind of trail their roadmap. Yeah. Um, so like Hashi did that as well, I believe. Yeah. A yeah. Couple, couple of weeks ago, they were sort of announcing the roadmap items in advance of reinvent which is coming up which yep. gives you time to have the conversation think about what your collective response is with the company so you can turn up to reinvent mm-hmm. ready to have some interesting conversations that being said the the kinds of ways that microsoft do it in terms of you know even aws will have bigger things that they're going to announce in the keynote and on stage but you know i think there is also something to be said for catching everyone off guard at the event itself and saying here are the things because these events go on over the course of days and you've got all the right people in the room and if you make a splash it's covered by the press industry and world you know how do you want to handle it what's your pr rollout of those things yes but also how do you spark and engender the conversation because if you ambush people with it on the day Mm -hmm. you actually get immediate feedback you get people to think and collaborate and maybe talk to people that they wouldn't normally talk to because they're sat next to a guy from a completely different company and they're having conversations in the bar about it if you trail it a couple of weeks in advance what you're going to get from the companies like us are quite thoughtful well-considered responses that fit with our roadmap and strategy is that the raw feedback you want Mm -hmm. you know it's it's, you know what the pros and cons there's no right answer in it but you know the, the significance of Ignite as an event is, you know, it's huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was some good stuff in here. I just think the way it was explained was weird. <laughs> but at least but have understood a look. it. Have I, a look, yeah, yeah. yeah, at least understood it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, that's actually all the news we have this week. Uh, next up is just the easier shout-outs. And we have a couple. Um, first being the Devil's Playground. The next iteration is on Thursday, 25th November. It is our last one of the year. So if you are keen to get hands-on free tech um, workshop 
pretty much, then please come along. It is in person in the London office. We are two more London over in London Bridge. Um, also available on our YouTube channel as well. So it's um, a second hybrid event that we've done. Mm-hmm. It's going to be hosted by our very own Cameron Harper and we'll be focused on how to keep your containers secure. For those confused about how to find us, because there were a couple of people last time, it's the building above the gaucho. Yes, and there's also five guys as well. <laughs> yeah, so, uh... There's a five guys, there's a gaucho. We're on the second to top floor above that. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, but another one about containers. I think third in a row. Yeah, I, f- I feel like there's some sort of secret container cult <laughs> running this, you know. Tree on the bounce that yeah. cover different aspects of similar technologies. But again, you know, with They're some of the changes right in Kubernetes, it's... It is topical. Yeah, it absolutely. It is topical. It's very interesting. So. And this particular playground is going to look at volume management, vulnerable packages, user management, and Docker files, mm. all that good stuff. So if you are interested in getting hands-on experience within uh, keeping your containers secured, this is the event for you. Um, and as I said, we'll post a couple of links below, one for the in-person event, which is taking place in London, and one for the online um, version of that, which would be the hybrid. And that's going to be taking place on YouTube at the same time. Um, again, just to reiterate that Tebs and I are involved in the End Youth Homelessness Sleepout tonight alongside other colleagues. We've also got our Edinburgh office mm-hmm. who have a balcony and I do believe they are planning on sleeping outside. We have a slightly more cushy office floor. I'm not going to say it's going to be comfortable. but yeah, I think there's a mix in Edinburgh. Yeah. Some will be in, some will be in. <laughs> Absolutely. But we are doing it. We are trying to raise funds. So um, we've got a link below. So if you're not getting involved tonight and you want to be able to get involved somehow, maybe maybe consider doing like doing a donation to us we'd yeah. love you for it we'll put the link in we'll yeah, the link in. I, I was really impressed and very pleased that we chose our new homelessness uh, i thought it was a really they are a charity of the year just yes to... it was a really good shout by the corporate social responsibility committee mm. it sounds very grand but it's genuinely day-to-day operational staff it wasn't a bunch of suited people in a room who then came out and said good news this is your charity yeah uh, and they did polls with staff on who we want to work with and i think working with uh, a relatively small relatively new but very effective yeah. charity kind of fit with our values and we've got an opportunity to help them not just with fundraising but we're lending them some of our facilities we're giving them some of our tech yep um some of our guys will be doing some work for them uh and it feels like an opportunity to part of something that's getting a big bang for its buck and if we can help accelerate that for them mm. but what they're doing is incredibly important and the statistics pre-pandemic were pretty scary and i can't yeah. imagine they're better post-pandemic yeah. so yeah hopefully we can do some really interesting stuff with these guys over the next year or two absolutely i think it goes with our nature as well trying to solve a problem um at the, an earlier source yeah. and looking at it later on and again if you end up being a youth in homelessness the chances mm. are that your future or that your life as an adult will follow a similar trend. So what we're trying to do is help youths get out of it earlier um, to give them a better chance um, on the other side when they turn 18. So um, that's it. That's all the news today. Uh, Thank you so much for signing in, listening to um, Tebs and I have a little chat again. A very confused chat this week. A very confused chat, but lots of good stuff. I feel there was some good stuff in here. Hopefully, hopefully. Uh, I mean, in the other podcast, we're also discussing showing vulnerability for this month of International Men's Day, and I feel like I've really done that. Like, <laughs> I just don't understand this. No. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's what this is about, right? So if we've missed any pieces of news, if you'd like to get involved in the conversation, then hit us up, um, ECS LinkedIn or ECS Twitter, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. So mm. take care, enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll catch up next week with more tech news. Cheerio. Bye-bye. <laughs>